0: Talk Radio. Hello, this is Craig Settles, and welcome to Gigabit, Gigabit Nation. I'm your host, and we're here to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get broadband everywhere it needs to be. Last week, we saw over hmm, a thousand. Uh, community broadband planners, activists, vendors, uh, service providers, and others who are here to uh, support uh, broadband, they gathered in a um, conference in Austin, Texas, uh, for the annual community broadband summit. One of the panelists, uh, Aaron Deacon, is a managing director of KC Digital Divide Drive, excuse me, and um, it's an organization that is supporting the efforts to bring broadband uh, network applications, uh, services, and so forth uh, into the other trans cities of uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas. Um, I interviewed him uh, just before his session on what you can do with a gig. Uh, It was a very interesting uh, conversation and one that I think you will find uh, very valuable. Um, Aaron goes beyond the question of what you can do with a gig and he uh, helps you lay out um, exactly what happens when you create a high-speed environment That fosters innovation, um, local economic development, and a range of other benefits. And here is that interview. Aaron, how are you and welcome to the show?
1: I'm very good. Thanks, Craig.
0: It's been has uh, been a little while. You run the show a little bit ago, and we were talking about you know progress that was being made in uh, in, in Kansas City. And so I just want to pick it up. And uh, well, first off, you're you're speaking today at the Broadband um, Band Summit to talk about what you can do with the gig. And so let's talk about you know some general observations of what you're seeing done in the, uh, with a gig and then let's talk about Kansas, Kansas City specifically. Sure.
1: So uh, I guess let, let me start by saying it, it's interesting that you asked that question. It's interesting actually that that was a, 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 a panel subject here because in some ways I think the that question is, is almost less relevant than it was three or four years ago when I when I started doing this.
0: Now that is true. Um, I agree
1: with that. You know, the, the mm-hmm. what do you do with the gig question was a real question that people had. And, and, and it was, you know, people trying to think about, well, do you really need this network? Mm-hmm. Now you kind of feel like everybody wants this network. You know, you've got top 20 or 30 metros who are, you know, actively pursuing it or have somebody that's building it out. You finally, you know, you've got AT and T and Comcast and CenturyLink and Cox and all talking about their, uh, you know, their gig networks. So all of the questions about what do you do with the gig, um, I, I think are I think are a little bit less relevant. Um, because maybe, maybe the best way to, qu- to
0: lay it out is, what are people doing with it? Right. Because right, right now, right. now I think it becomes like. We know that it has value. Now it is well, how? Are we, like for example, we I did a um, uh, my report on libraries, and many of the libraries, whether or not the the community has a gig, a lot of libraries, both medium sized and larger, will have a gig. Sure. Right, and the the stuff that they're doing is phenomenal. I mean, everything from three D printing to maker spaces and so forth. So. I think we know we got people that are now starting to push the envelope and maybe like I said that, that may probably is be the better way to, to, to phrase
1: it is what
0: kind of craziness are we doing
1: yeah I mean I, I think people are getting used to a network environment where where you can take that kind of bandwidth for granted in a way that you couldn't before. And mm-hmm. I say I mean we're still early. I mean they, I say people get used to it and part of that's just being in a place where you well, you got you're in it, Canada right? City, and right. so <laughs> and so you have that luxury. But but I mean you look at like the whole smart city conversation that has really taken off over the past year and the internet of things which uh, you know here at Broadband Communities is a is a hot topic. And you know this has been around for 10 years. Mm-hmm. It has been um, uh, a pretty mature discussion relatively in South America and Asia um, for for a while. It really hasn't hit the U.S., I don't think, until the past year, and I don't think it's an accident that it hit the U.S. after gigabit fever sort of Mm -hmm. took over. Mm -hmm. And you look at a lot of the smart city applications, which are connected lights or connected sensors, distributed systems, and those aren't the kind of things that people at first would think of as, you know, gigabit applications, because doesn't take a, a, you know, gigabit capacity for a sensor at a parking meter to tell you whether or not it's open or not. Um, but when you think about aggregate devices and you think about the sorts of network properties that you want to be able to manage um, virtually, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff needs a more robust network environment. And that's mm-hmm. what gigabit fiber really provides.
0: And in some respects, I know that, um, you know, you talk about the questions that people were asking three, four years ago, which was, you know, what are you going to do with it and so forth. Um, I think that, you know, hopefully people are starting to realize there is the, um, the speed of the network and then there's a capacity. And then the, the, the speed, you know, you may have a lot of people who will never use more than uh, 20, 25 megs, you know, symmetrical, right? And, um, but it's more when you get a whole city getting that as their average, you're going to need a lot of capacity to be able to get the, um, the throughput. That it what what each person then needs, and so you know we should talk about you know I think that people need to understand about you know the gig isn't just a thing of, of um, speed it's also about capacity because now that you have you know a bunch of people working at their home maybe doing twenty or forty megs, you know there's still a lot of stuff that that is happening then multiplied by, you know, 10, 30,000 or, you know, more.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, so so you've got the issue with gigabit of, you know, I mean, gigabit can mean a lot of things, and people exactly. use it to mean a lot of things. It's one of right. these buzzwords that people use. All, and so, you know, a, a gigabit circuit that is serving a whole bunch of homes or a gigabit to a library where you're supporting a lot of users at once, or gigabit to the home. I mean, what, what really sparked this move was the idea of gigabit to a single end-user's home. Right. Right? And mm-hmm. it's like, well, that just seems ridiculous. Who could possibly need that much bandwidth? And, you know, so, I mean, it probably sounds like I've been punting a little bit on your question, which w- which wasn't intentional. I mean, I didn't want to, you know, give some give some context. But, I mean, the things that people are doing are all the things that we said that people were going to do three or four years ago. Exactly. I mean, and, and Which is another, I mean, so, I mean, I say it's not a relevant question now, I... It's, it was a, an odd question kind of all, all along the line in some respects. I mean, um, you know, so you mentioned, you know, capacity, mm-hmm. big, big files. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, latency is another component of the network right. that, yes, that is, um, is pretty critical, that it's really low latency mm-hmm. and you get these, you know, one millisecond pings, three millisecond pings that can, um, yield a very responsive or more immersive lifelike environment. Uh, And then the third piece, which I kind of talked about a little bit before, is just this idea of network security and slicing, being able to carve off, you know, having such a big pipe that you can use part of it for this, part of it for that, and part Mm -hmm. of it for something else, and have those streams be more separate. And what you're seeing is, I mean, so, you know, look at 4K video, which people were talking about three or four years ago, and people are still talking about it. It's starting to, you know, you go to Costco, you see a lot more 4K and Ultra HD TVs than you used to. now, how would you define that for, pe- for people who may not have heard this phrase? 4K? Yeah. Do people listen to your show who haven't heard of 4K, Craig? It is <laughs> possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's the number of pixels that are squeezed onto the screen. Okay. So it's the, it's the quality of picture resolution on your, t- your television. Okay. Um, or on wh- however you're looking at, at an image. Uh, and um, I don't know for sure what the multiplier is on how... Um, Large those images are when you stream them. Um, but, uh, so, I mean, even, you know, the the pixel size, I think, is like, you know, a factor of two. Like, right. the next thing after 4K is 8K.
0: So it is, But it may be like
1: a file size that's mm-hmm. four, or eight, or 16 times as big. I don't know for okay. sure what the, what the okay. ratio is there. Um, now, you know, images you compress when you move and whatnot, and then you lose a little bit of quality when you compress and you decompress. But, um, you know, you just look at the uh the the envir- the media environment and you've seen happen more broadly, this isn't even just in Kansas City, the kinds of changes that we said you would see. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, virtual reality. Now they're starting to ship Oculus Rifts and Microsoft's HoloLens mm-hmm. and, you know, Google's got their little cardboard thing and Samsung's I don't remember what Samsung's called, VR gear maybe or something right, like that. Okay. Um I don't know entirely how much streaming they're doing with those yet, mm-hmm. um, but some, and they will, uh, you know, those uh, those don't necessarily uh, all take a ton of bandwidth, the ones that are on your phone, you know, you've got two static screens. Um, but increasingly, there are more robust 3D environments uh, that people are working on and that's becoming, you know, a new kind of expectation around how we deliver media. Mm-hmm. And the, the closer you get to actual 3D, uh, the more bandwidth you take up. Right. Um, there's a uh, a company in Kansas City called, I want to say, Virtutecture. Okay. That is uh, doing um, sort of 3D virtual renderings of buildings for construction mm. projects. Okay. And they've got this kind of, kind of hamster ball that you walk through so <laughs> you can go <laughs> okay. through and... Uh, uh, kind of see what it looks like to walk through a building before it's mm-hmm. built. Mm-hmm. Um, so these sort of virtual worlds um, uh, are, you know, we, we've seen them continue to to take hold over the past few years.
0: Mm-hmm. So the, um, it's all about, I think it's always has been about, pushing the envelope for some part of the business community, for the residential community and so forth. And by having the gig, your ability to push that envelope, or at least have some, again, part of, part of your, your uh, constituency to push that envelope, is a real big value. And a lot of other things will follow as a result. But while you have those people pushing those envelopes, you know, it will, at some point we'll start seeing, I think, more virtual reality. Um, you start seeing more 3D printing, when more people understand what they can do with it. But it seems like in the earlier, you know, days of these various technologies, somebody in town is going to be able to push that envelope because of the network, and then the rest of the community will sort of get, will follow suit as it becomes more popular.
1: Yeah, you know? uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, it it becomes part of a bigger question around how do you deal with the rapid pace of changing technology. Mm -hmm. You know, you want, I mean, I think you want a citizenry who is equipped to think about that, who becomes used to it, who is not just sort of scared of whatever's coming Mm -hmm. next, Mm -hmm. or, you know, looking around the bend or unsure. I think um, from a, a social infrastructure standpoint, The more equipped people who live in your city are to deal with the the kind of changes that we're looking at, the better off you're going to be. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Now, focusing specifically on Kansas City. um, By the way, uh, you know I always say Kansas City when I'm writing stuff and so forth. But there is there is Kansas City, Kansas, and there's Kansas City, Missouri. Are they basically both in the same um, I don't know stage of development or exploration or what have you? I mean is there any, is, is there any difference between the two? I mean I know that' politically there they're, two, you know, they're yeah. two different jurisdictions, but is, should we looking at should we look at Kansas City as both together both are pushing the gigabit envelope and are doing all kinds of you know, outrageously crazy good stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I look at it. I mean, I, I just look at it as the whole metro area. You know, if right, you live there, right? And, right it's the whole. I mean, it's like people talk about the Bay Area or Silicon Valley, right? I mean, they're not talking about oh, who's doing better, Sunnyvale or Mountain View right. or San Francisco. I mean, maybe they are, but I don't hear those conversations. And well, no, uh, but
0: I, but I think at one point, you know, Southern, if you were in Menlo Park or what have you, that was considered more techie than sure. can, than than San Francisco, and so there was a there was a divide. And so I've been to Kansas City a couple times, and you know I get a I get a sense that it's there there isn't so much of that uh, boundary separating the two the same it
1: does in, in, in the Bay Area. Yeah, I I don't I don't think so. I mean one I mean there, there are some points of distinction. Uh, you know Kansas City Missouri has r- really uh, moved pretty aggressively on the. Sort of smart city infrastructure front. Mm-hmm. So there's this project now with uh, Cisco and Sprint, where Sprint's providing a public Wi-Fi background, backbone along a, a streetcar, two-mile streetcar project downtown, mm-hmm. and uh, Cisco is putting their you know, smart and connected communities infrastructure in there, and brought a number of other vendors. Um, Sensity's doing some stuff with smart lighting. They've got some parking things. We've got you know uh, video, video sensors and some. Um, other stuff. So, you know, that's uh, a something that wouldn't have happened if um, I don't. If we hadn't started having all the conversations that we had because mm-hmm. of fiber, uh, you know, Google Fiber is not the the backbone for that project, um, but it has helped to establish a climate uh, where the city was able to pursue things like that. Mm-hmm. And part of that, I think, is just being the um, Know, the, the center city in the metro mm-hmm. uh, and having, you know, certainly a lot more staff and capacity in the city. Uh, I know Kansas City, Kansas is interested in that, in that kind of stuff, um, along with a lot of the other suburbs. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Summit is doing mm-hmm. some interesting things. North Kansas City, um, you know, they're, they're uh, fairly small, uh, but they give free gigabit to every home mm-hmm. through the Link City network. Uh, Olathe has been really doing some interesting things. we have got an innovation pavilion now, on the Kansas side. So, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, Kansas City Startup Village is mm-hmm, on the mm-hmm. is right on state lines. So that's kind of <laughs> cool. Uh, and most of the most of the people that live there are on the Kansas side, but a nice um, regional representation. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna say, you know, there's there's, there's this innovation district idea mm-hmm. that has taken uh, gotten some currency from a group cast out of Brookings. And, you know, I think baked into that idea is that you really benefit by concentrating resources in a narrow area and, mm-hmm. you know, okay, well, we've got this eight-square block footprint and we're going to put all this stuff in there. Um, I, don't, I don't know that we've exactly done that. I mean, we've talked about innovation districts and we have uh, these people, I think, in Kansas City would say, well, we've got a lot of them. And because you have the political division that makes it sometimes harder, not just between Kansas and Missouri, but even within the city, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a. But the flip side of that is uh, I feel like that um, innovation mentality has been diffused throughout the metro area mm-hmm. in a I, kind of I, cool way.
0: I, I wanted to talk about this for a second. Um, having done these library interviews, um, uh, small size, big cities, you know all all in between, there is this sort of this concept of um, a mindset or mentality that is conducive to innovation right and I don't know if anyone's really talked about that or or, or not, but what I sort of sense is um, that you get a couple of things happening involving technology and in a gigabit and so forth, and it creates an atmosphere that allows other things to happen. And I know, I'm not sure if I'm really explaining this correctly, but it's sort of like um, because of some set number of valuable the, the variables, including some new aspect of technology, so the gigabit being like, uh-huh. the thing that, that, that ties together, like, you know, people in, in Chattanooga, people in Kansas City, but that we're so, somehow we created uh, a mindset that is conducive to doing more stuff, more innovation, more uh, exploring. It, do you sense that, um, and is that sort of a real thing, or is it like is just like imagination, or is it just a talking point for for city um, economic development people? I mean,
1: no, I think it's a real thing. Uh, I mean, I think that's you know when I was talking about the social infrastructure, and and really, um, you know, kind of the the premise around which my organization was formed. Um, is that you, you really do benefit from and need to have uh, this ineffable community quality mm-hmm. where you know, the, 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 the role of technology in the world is accelerating in a, a way that you know, can be good. It couldn't be bad. I mean, there's problems that that brings with it. There's some you know, opportunities. There's lots of good things. But my view of it is, is, in some ways, more value neutral. I and mean, a lot of people think mm-hmm. I'm a big technology booster. Um, you know, I like it. I think it's kind of fun. I I'm definitely uh, more optimistic than pessimistic. But but mostly, I just am am sort of staring at the reality of it. Right? Okay. I and mean, this this stuff changes changes whether you like it or not. And so you can uh, either work with it and understand it and try to mm-hmm. make the best mm-hmm. of those changes and shape those changes in a way that is beneficial to your community. Or if you don't, all that stuff's going to happen, and it's going to happen somewhere else, and it's going to happen in a way that you may not like. And then you're going to be like, well, you know, I sure wish everybody wasn't watching TV all the time, or I, you know, wish that there wasn't all this stuff, or the kids and their phones these days. You know, those may be valid criticisms. Fine, we'll do something about it. Now's the time to start thinking about that, about what the world's going to be like in five years. And if you want to have a role or a say in what that's going to look like, You've got to have a certain amount of, uh, of education. So, I do think that um, exposure to mm, seminal or groundbreaking technologies, like gigabit internet, for example, uh, have the effect of orienting a community towards that kind of conversation ah, in a way ah, that okay. they okay. that they would not if it just wasn't present right. or
0: visible. Right. 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 And that's I think that's what we're talking about. And that's kind of what I sense with these different libraries, right? So I talked to the library directors at uh, Philadelphia and Chattanooga and Kansas City, um, smaller places like Essex, uh, Vermont, and Uh Burlington, Vermont. And uh, there was sort of this constant theme that because the library was pushing the envelope, Uh you know, they would have literally the best or the fastest uh, internet connection in town, and so you had all of these kinds of innovations and new uh, technology that people were getting exposed to, um, and it created like this this energy kind of thing, and it was very different, right? Because every you know Chattanooga is Chattanooga and Kansas City is Kansas yeah. City, but but the the the, the thing of um, this this dynamic and this this energy and so forth is is something to to behold and I think it's I think it's beneficial to talk to I mean if they're not doing already, but talking to the different communities to see how they have harnessed that energy and what kinds of things they've created because then it'll always be that whatever that city is that is unique they're going to have their own way of interpreting and um, uh, harnessing and then moving forward. And it has to be, you know, so it shouldn't be, um, we should look to other folks for um, inspiration and some, a certain amount, like you're talking, education, but then realize that each community will manifest itself or its, you know, its gig or whatever in a different way when you start to then kick it into gear
1: yeah i I think that's interesting. I think it's an interesting question about what what happens to communities and what and what this level of connectedness what impact it ultimately has on the sense of place of a community
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and this isn't something that I mean it's kind of interesting that you bring this up because i don't I don't feel like this is really talked about all that much um I mean well, so i think I think one thing that you said you know, in terms of 21st century economic development about, oh, look inwardly, see what your strengths are, you know, you're going to take this kind of neutral technology platform and really use it to accentuate what you already have and make mm-hmm. you better at being who you already are. Uh, I, I feel like that's, that there is, uh, you, you hear that a fair bit. Uh, and I think, I mean, that has certainly been the approach, and and especially over the past few years where you've got relatively few cities. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 makes a lot of sense, and there is this idea that everyone's going to you know take this new thing and and it's going to you know kind of take root in a in a in a place and time and a, uh, a community with its own geography mm-hmm. and, and topology, and then manifest itself in some unique way. Um, as it's and, and and the the sort of question I think that's gone alongside that is you know or implicit, there's well how long do I have sort of a first mover advantage mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and um, you know two I guess kind of follow up thoughts on that is one and I still think I mean it's it's still relatively early even though I mean I look around this exhibit hall and everyone's oh you know talking about gigabit cities right and, right right you know, this, this is the, the language around this uh, and then the reality and deployments have accelerated you know uh, dramatically over the past five years With all that said, there's still relatively few cities that have gigabit fiber to the home in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And so there still is a, you know, we're still in a first mover period. Um, But it changes as you go through the adoption curve from the early adopters to sort of, you know, the bigger group of early adopters. I can't remember what the two middle parts of that that curve are. But then you hit a point where it becomes less of a unique advantage uh, if you have this Mm
2: -hmm. technology
1: and more of a disadvantage if you don't it's right. eventually a big disadvantage you know and you're the town that the railroad passed by and you win ah, your, yes. and that right uh-huh. so so that's that's one thing uh, you know that I think is interesting um, and it will be interesting to see over the next 10 years kind of how that how that plays out whether i mean i, I certainly think you know Chattanooga has done a great job of carving out an identity around gigabit mm-hmm. uh, you know i think Kansas City's done that to some degree you know if google lights up 20 more cities and AT&T puts 50 up Maybe maybe you start to see that that last. Um, and are there other things to replace it? Are there other technologies that, that define maybe? Or you know maybe it just becomes more of this digital city idea and you know it's kind of progressive cities or forward thinking cities or tech cities. I don't mm-hmm. know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the other thing that I think is this is the thing that I think is, is not talked about all that much is the potential for um, sort of. Eliding some of those differences between cities and making it more difficult to maintain a sense of self or a sense of place. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's interesting to me uh, when you look at, you know, sort of the backlash against Walmart or McDonald's oh, or, right, or right. mass market culture, mm-hmm. which uh, I feel like a lot of your... Urban economic development, Richard Florida's creative class, people sort of rebel mm-hmm. against, mm-hmm. and you know the 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 trope of you know third wave coffee shops and hipster bars, mm-hmm. and you know co work spaces and this kind of cool entrepreneurial juju is you know pretty common now. This idea even even go back to the idea of innovation districts, so people think about this, and and sometimes that manifests itself differently in different cities. You see some of it, you know, that looks some of the same from city to city. And those kind of cultural exports get accelerated just by virtue of connectivity. But also the digital properties, Mm -hmm. which are easily replicable. Mm -hmm. So when you look at models of, well, you know, uh, I'm going to build this website and I'm going to scale it everywhere. I'm going to build a template for what a city homepage should look like. You know, well, this is great because this is the perfect city homepage. I don't think anyone really talks about well, what happens if you know we've got 100 city homepages that all look the same, and maybe they change the color scheme or they change the you know CSS or some functionality. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't have I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I do think it's a it's a possibility as we start to sort of scale city functionality and 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 all these networks. I mean, you you're exposed to all of these different uh, you know people that are. Well, we want to connect cities, we want to help, we want to, we want to pilot something, we want to identify something that works, and we want to scale it. We want to scale it across cities, and we want to you know, put it everywhere and have maximum impact, mm-hmm. which sounds great in theory, but are you starting to set up a situation where you've got a you know, a Starbucks in every corner, and people are like, "Well, I just want my own city that's not like the other cities. Right, my own digital right, properties right, right, that aren't doing right. the same thing that everybody's doing." I, you know, mm-hmm. this is a, a bit of stream of consciousness. Sorry, no, no, Probably no. no go with long, it. Go but, with it. Go with it. Please, uh, really. You know, I, I think that's an interesting, uh, be really interesting to watch over the next few years. Mm-hmm. And I think that,
0: you know, what you're highlighting is that um, we can barely keep up with. You know, sort of projecting what we can do, and we sometimes forget about well, what's the what's the flip side of everything that we could possibly do? You know, it's like there is upsides and downsides of just about every decision you can make relative to to you know or uh, city life. You know, policy that says okay, if I'm going to do this, and say we're going to make it easier for WalMarts to come in well, that's gonna have uh, an impact, right? Now, some of the impact will be good, and people don't like to talk about what are possible downsides, you know? Right. And then they get the Walmart, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, damn, we don't have this, and these folks went out of business, and all of that. And I don't think people, at this point, think very much about, well, what is the, um, the, you know, the downside, and it may be manageable or not, but what is the possible downside of having everyone tied into a gig you know because we will always talk about you know the the, the good stuff i mean it's, it's typical nature kind of thing i probably but you know we can once in a while it is useful to think about hey what if this actually doesn't work out like we did <laughs> planned? And that they have some sort of either contingency or at least having thought it through sure. before you like pull the switch and there you let it run, you know. But uh, it's you know it's almost it's almost counter to the nature of people who are advocates and evangelists to say you know we want everybody to have a gig because the gig will be good. But you know, sometimes we don't think about the flip side of that, and I think it's it's it, you know it's useful to have that kind that kind of conversation. Oh,
1: it is, it is, yeah. I mean, and you're right. It is it is counter to the the nature of evangelists, and and what it leaves you with, especially with with stuff that's a little bit esoteric and that's out there. I mean, you know, stuff that's far enough out there in the future, you have you have your evangelists, mm-hmm. your true believers. uh... You've got your your Luddites, you know, and your your people who just want to go back to, you know, the 1800s or, mm-hmm. you know, who, who are like, oh, no, this is bad, this is not going to be good, we've got we've to turn it off. And you've got most people who are, right, you know, probably the 80% in the middle mm-hmm. who aren't even thinking about it. Right, right, right. <laughs> and right. and it's most of the people who are going to be new? affected <laughs> by it. And so how do you, and, and you know, I mean, it, it's hard. Uh, I mean, you, you <laughs> everybody can just look at all the different political things in this election mm-hmm. year. We're not we are not really set up for you know civil discourse about <laughs> these kinds of things uh, as far as I can tell. So it's, you know, it's useful to try to create forums where you can have those kind of conversations.
0: Right. And speaking of which, you guys are doing a, a forum of sorts uh, in May. Yep. Right? And so tell us about that. Uh,
1: yeah, May 16th to 18th in Kansas City, the Gigabit City Summit. Um and that that is kind of the, the premise um, is you know helping uh, communities be thoughtful about how they adopt technology excellent, excellent. Um, you know it's really I mean, you know I've been coming to uh, events like Broadband Community Summit and fiber to the Home Council and all these kind of fiber events since I started doing this and you know the question has always been how do you build these networks we know you need to build them we know this is the future mm-hmm. it's hard it's expensive how do you do it and so uh, there was uh, a lot of great content built up around that, Um, but a little bit less dedicated content about what do you do with it? What do you do with your city once you have a city that's now built it and thinking, okay, we've got assets, and I don't, you know, this year we're really growing just beyond, um, you know, fiber as an asset because the process can apply to any kind of technology or infrastructure asset. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're going to make this investment, you're going to, you know, take on this new sort of leap of faith that this technology is going to be worthwhile and good, well, how do you start organizing around that? How do you, you know, educate your citizenry? How do you uh, roll technology out in an equitable way? Uh, how do you really have, you know, social, civic, human impact at the core of your technology decisions rather than just kind of letting them happen? So mm-hmm. That's then uh, what we try to do, we, we bring a, a, you know, diverse group together. We really encourage cities to bring delegations of I you know that. You do five, that, five yeah. or six people uh, that represent you know the social service side, the economic development side, the city government side, entrepreneurial community, so that you've got you know people with kind of more different immediate goals able to connect in in service of a bigger goal.
0: Okay. Now that sounds like a um, a good time. I'm looking forward to being there uh, again because I saw I was yeah, there absolutely. when you guys did it uh, a year and a half or so ago. Yeah, when it was cold. It was and very I, cold. I appreciate the fact that you have decided to turn up the thermostat, or at least do That's the event right. so that the thermostat would be uh, there. Um, no, no, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. One thing I'd like to get an idea from is we often hear uh, smart cities, smart cities. What exactly, in your mind... Is a smart city, and isn't that supposed to be the same as I bring a gay in, so now I have a smart city because I have a gay?
1: Yeah, so there are a few layers to smart city, um, and they're kind of like concentric circles. So the most narrow definition is uh, I mean, this is just my own take on this, mm-hmm. but. Uh, you know, Smart City was a product that was developed by IBM and Cisco about 10 years ago. Uh-huh, okay. It was really sort of city management software. Um, uh, it was a, a brand name, um, so and and it was hard to sell. It was an expensive investment. I'll talk a little bit more about what it is because I think generically that's kind of the second circle. Um, but I bring this up because it it got uh, I think branded. A lot is a Cisco product or an IBM product. Okay. Smart city—that's a product. These technology vendors are trying to come in and sell to cities that you know is supposed to solve all their problems and make everything better. Um, And and there was a little bit of backlash from cities who weren't sure what to what to do with that. So the second circle out, I think, in a slightly more generic way, is really you know some of the the concepts of the systems that they were trying to sell, which are essentially uh, you know three components. One is a uh, lot of sensors so that you are actually making uh, environmental data machine readable. Uh, the second is connectivity so that you can relay all that data that you're collecting from your environment back to um, uh, you know a central point that you can connect it with. You can sort of connect all these uh, instrumented pieces of the physical world to one another. And the third piece is analytics and real-time responsiveness so that you're actually processing that data and then using it for the the city to make decisions,
2: right. So, okay.
1: So those three things together, you know, those you know are certainly part of the the systems that IBM and Cisco and Siemens and Ericsson and whoever else you know sell uh, when they talk about smart cities. But you can do that on a DIY basis. You can set okay. up sensors in you know your your backyard. You could uh, you know there are all sorts of uh, entrepreneurs who are working on analytics platforms to do these things and. Uh, each of those pieces—the sensors, the networks, and and the analytics and and responsiveness—have um, pretty, you know, robust ecosystems now of people who are developing, and then okay. how you inter- in- integrate those. So that's a—I think that's, um, you know, the, the the closest to the core definition of what people mostly mean when they say smart city. Right. But the third piece in um, the, 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 the biggest circle, and if you go to the smart city conferences and you, you know, talked earlier about buzzwords that people throw around to embrace everything, um, you know, is, is really what is this... It gets into this question of human impact. Right. right? Like, what does this mean for citizens? Uh, it gets into, you know, talking about citizen engagement and having, you know, an inclusive and equitable distribution of technology uh, includes the innovation economy mm-hmm. and how you think about adapting what is going to happen to jobs and what's going to happen to revenue sources in a city as you start to automate more and more things. I mean, this gets into more philosophical issues and uh, and and more. Um, there's a uh, I think meeting of the minds. I saw they were doing a webinar something called the Just City, um, and uh, I think Charlotte at the, somebody from Charlotte at the White House Smart Cities. Kick off last fall. He said, "Well, we like to call ourselves the Love City, right?" And so you've got these more um, really sort of transcendental values that people are starting to think about. And like, well, why just smart? You know, what, what right, is this? Right, right, right. something really <laughs> sort of like in, in intellectual and equity, But we care more about communities. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm kind of going off the rails a little bit here, but there is this this way of talking about smart cities that is really encompassing and. Uh, I think people in that space are talking about all of the the services and policies and uh, values that you know people who run and manage cities and think about them as a place where uh, human beings live and, and aspire to be uh, their 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 best selves, as Oprah would say. <laughs> uh, how, how that all happens. Excellent. So it's uh,
0: Okay. Um, we've got about, uh, about three, four more minutes, and I've got to let you go to do your uh, presentation. But um, a question has come up, well, actually a couple of times, um, is we talk about broadband needs in the context of rural, right? And a lot of the people that are here at this show are talking about you know, rural yep. broadband, right? But what about the urban areas? Because Kansas City is not a rural area. And the question is, Do is the need for broadband and the need for a gig as strong in the urban areas as it is in the rural areas?
1: Sure. Uh, I mean, you could argue it's stronger because that's where... 75 percent yeah. of your population. Is, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I mean, you, when you get into rural, urban, I mean, that's this gets into part of your value question. Right. Um, you know, what what is the value of preserving a small town way of life? Uh, different people answer that question differently. Um, you know, it's always been a high value in the U.S., and that has been very much something that we want to do. And, and in order to preserve that, you're going to need to be connected. I mean, unless you go out like to the compound, which, you know, some people mm-hmm, do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, there are other people who want to build monasteries, you know, and, right, uh, and, and, right. and become disconnected when they're off in the world. And there's, there's some interest in that, too. Um, but, uh, but if you want to uh, live a life that is connected with the world mm-hmm. and... Uh, and you want to do that out on a farm? It's gonna be pretty tough if you don't have broadband. <laughs> well, true. We're very true. <laughs>
0: there is no doubt about that. I, you know, and I think that 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 there is a. Um, you know, I think people understand the value of broadband. It doesn't even have to be a gig, so much as you know, much better than what you have now, as a way to keep those small communities and uh, uh, fam- farmland and so forth con- connected. But I think that we're we're falling down is we're not addressing the need of the urban areas. And I think, you know, because everything goes, all the money, a lot lot of the money, uh, federal assistance and everything, it's all about uh, how partially populated and so forth is a large part of that discussion. And I think that, um, you know, having a gig in a a Chattanooga or a Kansas City-sized metropolis is a big thing, it's a big value, it is. and uh, it just manifests itself very differently in the big envir- uh, urban environment than it does in the rural, but nevertheless there's still an impact that justifies the,
1: the cost and the effort and all of that. Well, no, that's exactly right, and that's why you've got to have all this folks on the rural, because I think the, the business case is more clear in an urban environment. Right. Um, You know, even if for a long time it wasn't clear, and you know that may be premature to say that it's clear because there's still lots of big cities and urban areas that that don't have it and that need it. But you get the sense that they will uh, catch up, and the market uh, will will help to drive that. And just when you see all these places that are announced with big fanfare, it's always urban areas. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when AT&T announced 125 gigabit cities, there weren't there weren't a lot of you know two thousand or less towns,
2: or, or ten thousand or less
1: probably. I don't know. I didn't didn't look at them all. But that's a that's a harder case. It's expensive to build out right. fiber to those areas in a way that's not. The revenue stream's not there. You know, the other thing that I think is interesting that it will be i curious to see in terms of what happens in terms of urban rural. And going back to this whole creative class, innovation district idea, you know,
2: mm-hmm. people
1: talk about how in this new economy how important it is to have cities still, and that there are these you know hotbeds of creativity where in-person collisions happen and people connect and new ideas are born. These kind of you know petri dishes of innovation. Um, can, can can you do that in a rural environment? How does how does you know? And you could make an argument that broadband is a way for smaller towns and rural Americans to participate and to have some connection to those urban environments? Can you create an immersive enough connection uh, to where even in a less populous area, you have access to some of those um, benefits of dense population? I think that's kind of an open question, but I think mm-hmm. it'll be an interesting thing to see, to see what happens over the next 15 years.
0: And I think we'll explore that a little bit in uh, the future, and maybe even when I come out to uh, Kansas City. We're going to shoo you off because I want you to be on, I don't want you to be uh, late because then your moderator will come and see me. <laughs> so <laughs> well, I definitely want to thank you for coming right off the plane and coming by and, and, and spending some time talking about uh, broadband and, and a gig and all of that. And so I really appreciate it very much.
1: You bet. Thanks for having me, Craig. It's always a pleasure.
0: Alrighty.